If you will, please stand with me for the reading of the scriptures. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on a human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not write certainly speak, to speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow for, for, for hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among, among you, is it too much if we re reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple services get their food from the temple and those who serve in the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing to you these things to secure such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if I do it not of my own will, I have a reward. Still, excuse me. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a stewardship. Then what is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but rather under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That is my share with them in its blessings, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race a runner, run, that a runner runs, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, may, my, I myself should be disqualified. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. As you're being seated, please open up in your Bibles, if you have not already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, 
I assume most of you do, but if you do not, uh, those Bibles in your pews are gifts from us to you. You don't have your own Bible uh, to mark up, to make notes of, to uh, read and study on your own outside of the digital text you might have on your phone. Take that with you, Um, our gift to you. That text is not only uh, long, but some levels pretty confusing. Um, At first glance, it's a little difficult maybe for some of us to read it and hear it and understand what that means sitting here today, Stillwater, Oklahoma, 2018, when this was written almost 2,000 years ago. I work a lot with high school students, and we talk a lot about the difficulty of bridging these two worlds, bridging this seeming foreign land of Corinth, this guy named Paul talking about Jesus and me sitting here today. And it's our job as teachers of the word who come before you to dive deep into this scripture, to understand it on its own, ter- on its own terms, and as Max said, to sit under the text. And that we are living these lives and there's this text and we believe this is not just words on a page, but it's unique. That it's God's inspired word which he gave us and which he reveals himself to us and we put ourselves humbly beneath the text. You'll hear us say a lot here at Sunnybrook that we want to be formed into the spirit, or by the spirit of God, by the people of God, by the word of God. All of these things working together to make us more and more like Jesus. And so 1 Corinthians comes at us in the same way. At first glance, you might have a struggle seeing how does food being sacrificed in temples 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me today? Uh, This conflict that they were going through where they have these weaker Christians and those stronger Christians, we don't have any of that. Uh, We really probably don't have any temples where we show up and we um, give ourselves, give of our time, give of our money and, and lay down things and receive something in return. The reality is when we think about the principles that lie in this text, we start to see something. We start to see something with these foolish saints in Corinth. And this conflict where God's wisdom is coming to to speak truth into this city, into this church. And at the same time, they're trying to turn from this old life of sin, this old life of pagan worship and idolatry, and they're caught in conflict. And you have the weaker brothers who are struggling to understand what it looks like to actually not worship idols. And you have these so-called stronger brothers who are using their freedoms in an unwise, immature, foolish way. Last week, Jim talked about chapter 8 where these stronger Christians were eating food sacrificed in temples to idols. And because they knew, right? They knew what you and I both know, that there are no other gods other than the one true living God, Yahweh. He's the only God. And so they know, which is true, that they could walk in there, eat that food, and it's of no consequence, truly. Like they're no worse off for having eaten it, and they're no better off for not eating it. Except for this, that there were some who did not know what they knew. They were still struggling. They had heard the gospel and at some level responded to the gospel, but they were still struggling internally with this pagan worship or going all out for Jesus. 
And these weaker brothers, seeing the stronger brothers going to this temple, was causing them to struggle and lean back into that pagan idol worship. And Paul says that those stronger Christians were destroying, at some level, these weaker Christians. And so what Paul wants to do, pretty much all from chapter 8 through chapter 10, is build an apologetic, build an argument, build ultimately an example for all of us to follow. Verse um, 1 of chapter 11, at the very end of this long argument, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You may not yet understand what it looks like to live as a mature, free person in Christ, but I will show you. Because the weak person needs to be brought up, and the strong person needs to mature and not be so foolish. And the gospel is preached to all of them. And so we come to our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? We're going to hear 15 15 rhetorical questions all throughout this text. If you noticed, there was a lot of question marks being thrown up onto that screen. Well, what's Paul trying to do? Well, in his time, using the Greek, these questions were not necessarily seeking an answer as much as just trying to proclaim a truth. So when he says, am I not free? He's saying, emphatically, he's trying to convey, I am free. I'm free. Not only that, but I am an apostle. Have I not seen our Lord Jesus? Acts chapter 9, we know he has. He has in fact seen the risen Christ. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Now he turns his attention to the Corinthians. Hey, Corinthian church, you know you're the fruit of my labor, right? You've been with me, you've heard me, you've done life alongside of me. You are the work of my labor in the Lord. And not only that, If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. They are his workmanship. They are his seal. Back in um, Paul's time, they would have um, sent legal documents with this seal on the back that showed this was an official letter by this specific person. And you can trust this document because of the sender. Okay, The Corinthians church for Paul was that seal. Someday when he's before God and God is asking, what has been the fruit of your labor? What has been your workmanship? How can you show me that you are, in fact, one of my people? Paul can easily point to, and the other Corinthians can say, us, right here, okay? We're his seal. We're his workmanship. Because of the work Paul did, because of the preaching he did with us, we are now here. They're his seal, They're his proof. And so Paul is building this premise. And he's getting ready to lay down this long argument on the two premises that he is free and that he is an apostle. The apostle may be the highest order that uh, any Christian could have to be sent specifically by Jesus, to have seen Jesus face to face and to to go out and plant churches in the beginnings of the church. A beautiful, beautiful thing in that he is also free just as they are in Christ. Verse 3 says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. That word defense, apologia, is where we get the term apologetic. Some of you like it more than others. The defending of our faith, the understanding some of the nuances and how Christianity works uh, in the midst of this world with competing worldviews or how does it relate to um, some of the arguments against it. 
Uh, that's not necessarily what Paul's doing here. He's not arguing for the truth of Christianity as much as he's giving a defense of his apostleship and the rights that he has because of his freedom in Christ. And he's laying out that there are certain rights that I have, and he's going to have kind of five arguments, kind of some common practices. Uh, we can look at these common practices that you know, and that shows that I have rights as an apostle. Uh, some temple customs that Jesus commands. We also see some scripture that he's going to use, and he's using these 15 questions, and he's using these five arguments all to say one thing. I'm free, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle, and I have rights. Okay? Verse four. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Yes, of course. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Well, yes, Paul does have the right to eat and drink. He does have the right to take along a believing wife as these others do. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have uh, no right to refrain from working for a living? Okay, Paul's trying to build this argument. Okay, he's saying, like, I have this right. I have right to material provisions because of what God has called me to do. All right, and these common practices that you see uh, that have been elsewhere. Right? Think back to Jesus. When Jesus sent out the 72 or when he sent out the 12, did he tell them, take with you cut snack packs and some extra clothes in your bag and make sure you stuff your wallet because there's not going to be much out there? Nope. Says so kind of the exact opposite. Don't take extra clothes. Don't take extra money. Stay with people because it's the people's responsibility to care for your material needs. Verse 7. And who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? These common everyday experiences that they saw in other professions where they were able to have their material needs provided for is true also for Paul. Okay, the work he is doing, he's able to have his material needs provided for. Second argument is verse 8, and he's starting to build an argument not based on human authority, but on scripture. Do I say these things of my own accord? Okay, is this just me saying it? You remember chapter 7 back in the day? Oh, this might have been like two months ago. Okay, I think we covered this even before our It's Time series, but when Paul talks about that it's my opinion that you should remain single if you're single. The reality is, you single people, uh, you're able to do things that married people, people with kids, aren't able to do. You have a certain level of freedom that they don't have. You have a certain ability to just go where God is leading you and calling you and put yourselves in situations you might not normally do because you have other worries and concerns because of having a spouse or having kids. You have other responsibilities. Okay, And that's him, Paul saying, that's my opinion. Okay, Take that for what it is. But that's my opinion. And here he's saying, this is not just my opinion. Okay, this is not just human authority of which I'm speaking. This isn't just Paul giving his opinion. No, this is something quite different. Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? Okay, he's going back to the Old Testament, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse four. And even in its original context, that verse of do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, it's not just talking about beasts of labor. It's in the midst of how we're supposed to treat people. 
It's originally in the midst of how we're supposed to treat people who are working hard, whether they are a sojourner in your land or whether they may be a bondservant of yours or just a brother or sister. There are certain things that you need to provide for them and that they have rights to because of their labor. Verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things among you? Okay, this is just simple logic now. Okay, there's a spiritual reaping, there's a spiritual seed throwing that that Paul is doing and that people who are proclaimers of the gospel do and it makes sense that there should be a material provision being met so the focus can be on the gospel, the focus can be on Christ. And then in verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, how much more do we? Do we not even more? Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this. Are we not like so many, um, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Peddlers of God's word. Do you understand what that is? That's somebody who like wants to come and charge you a ticket to come hear something. Okay? At the door, you didn't have to like buy a ticket to come reserve your seat at the movie theater because today you're not here to be entertained. There's a difference between what is willingly being sacrificed by you at a time of offering and this uh, peddling of the gospel which is being done back then. There were people, itinerant people, who saw this financial opportunity where they could go and say these certain things, whatever the message and flavor of the day was, and they knew they could line their pockets a little bit. And Paul's saying, like, that is not what we're doing. And It's so much so not what we're doing. I'm going to do something unique. And he says it right here, verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. We've not made use of this right. Paul is saying, like, I have a right to this. Uh, If you want to argue with God, if you want to argue with common sense, if you want to argue with common practice, which you already accept, then fine, whatever. But the the truth is I have a right to this material provision. But I haven't taken use of it because Paul knows out there are these peddlers of the word these people who are trying to proclaim a truth in order to gain financial success back in the day something was different than um, our day is they had these things called patrons and clients essentially there was no middle class back then there were people who had a lot of money and people who did not have much money at all and so the people with a lot of money these patrons would go into this agreement with a client They would provide their financial needs. They would help them along with their material needs. They would be references so that they could get good jobs, what have you. And then the people, the client who would receive this, would owe the patrons favors. Essentially, it's like a weird version of an employee, but in a way that was often abused. And in the church, they were struggling with this. In Corinth, they were struggling with this, um, having these power structures, these um, authority abuses broken down with the gospel. And Paul is saying, like, because you're weak, because you don't quite understand, because you're immature in how you understand money, how you understand my role as an authority figure, as an apostle, like, I'm not going to take money from you. Listen to why he says it. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of Christ. We would endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of Christ. Like Paul would rather go through financial difficulty and ruin than to put an obstacle in the way of somebody coming to Jesus. You will endure it, right? That's what he says in Philippians chapter 4. 
I know some of you probably have these on your cleats or on your gloves or helmets. Uh, Dylan, you can tell me if I need to come talk to anybody uh, over at OSU. But here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Okay, it's not showing how hard we can throw, how far we can hit, how many shots we can make or how well we're going to do on the test, it's saying, like, Paul had a need. The Philippians met that financial need, but he didn't necessarily need it because he knows what it's like to be brought low. He knows what it means to have a lot. Hey, he can be poor or he can have much. It doesn't matter because he's not here for that. Yeah, they helped him, and he took financial assistance from the Philippians, right? You saw that, right? The Corinthians, he says, no, I'm not taking that financial assistance from you because you're, you don't, you don't get it. It will be a hindrance to some of you and your understanding of Jesus, your understanding and grasping of the gospel with the Philippians. Uh, they didn't have that problem. He was willing to take that assistance. Uh, but essentially, Paul's trying to tell us, like, he's willing to endure anything, anything. Um, a couple of people who are really influential in my life, surprise, surprise, Jim Johnson and his, one of his spiritual fathers named Mark Scott. Uh, Mark likes to tell a story of how he hopes his funeral goes. And he hopes that when his children are standing up and speaking of him, that they'll be able to stand and say, like, my dad loved us. Uh, my dad loved us. We had no doubt of that. But it was very, very clear that he loved Jesus more. It was very clear that he loved Jesus more. And kind of the heart behind that is, yeah, these kids had no doubt that they had a loving father, but it was clear by his uh, priorities. It was clear by the way he spent his money. It was clear by the way he talked to us or he um, sacrificed time, vacations, um, high salaries in order to proclaim the gospel that he loved Jesus more. And when you take on Christ, you have to be willing to endure things. Uh, sometimes for those who enter into ministry, it means laying down a high salary. It means being willing to take on ridicule, being ostracized by your family or being ostracized by a society that doesn't like the message you're giving. Sometimes it means like living in a glass house because your family's a ministry family and therefore I'm somehow expected to live different than everybody else and so I'm going to be examined. Right? But that would never happen except to Paul, right? Verse 3, uh, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Some level, the, the willingness of somebody to enter into ministry, be a proclaimer of the gospel, is to say, I will endure anything in order to help somebody find Christ. And here Paul's discernment is coming out. He's willing to say, I'm not taking money from you because that would be bad for you. And then he picks up. He goes back into his final couple arguments trying to show he has rights to this, if anyone had any question. Verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? 
and those who serve the altar share in the sacrificial offerings, okay? Whether they were Jews or Gentiles, everybody would have understood this temple analogy, that there were people who worked in the temple, and those people who worked in the temple got their material provisions met by their work, okay? It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And then he moves into his final argument, which is obviously his strongest argument in verse, verse 14. In the same way, the Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Luke chapter 9 and chapter 10 is where you can find some of this if you're curious. Jesus says this, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whatever they do, and whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Okay, these proclaimers of the gospel, these ones who are sent out by Jesus, commissioned by God to proclaim the word and the truth, are to be met, have needs met by the people. That's a specific thing that Jesus is saying. Verse 4 of chapter 6, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Whenever you enter a house, peace be with you. Verse, um, verse 8, what they provide for the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, but stay in the house from which you go. If Jesus is saying it, if Jesus says it, God says it, it's common sense. They see it all around. The apologetic's been made. The argument is there. He has a right to material provisions. But, but, verse 15, I have made no use of any of these rights nor am I writing these, te- these things to, um, to get such provisions, to secure such provisions. Now, the reality is I, I'm pretty thankful for this place. Uh, this isn't like necessarily a, a sermon or a text where we read it and we think, man, crud, our church does not do this well. Our church does not do this, does not provide for the needs of those who have been sent to proclaim the gospel here. And our church, man, doesn't do well at helping provide the material needs of those in our community or those in our country or those in this world. No, the reality is you do it really well. You do. You provide. You, you help meet the physical needs of the people who have been sent here to proclaim the gospel. But beyond that, like you serve to meet the needs of people outside of our community. Our Help Build Hope program where we literally help build houses for people who need them is amazing. And that we go to places like Dallas or Down Home Ranch to show physical love, material provision to those who need to see the gospel and experience the gospel. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church who helps provide the physical material needs of pastors in Ghana who serve at churches that are very small or very poor. And they're not able to have their material needs met. And so we help support them. People who you would see maybe and never recognize and know that a dollar you gave helped provide for their needs, helped put gas in their bicycle tank in order to get them to the church in the next village. To help put a meal on the table of their family so they didn't have to work so many hours in the field um, the day before in order to prepare for their sermon. 
And I'm thankful to be part of that church. I'm thankful I don't have to read this text and think, man, I am so frustrated to be part of a community that doesn't get this. That's a lot more like Corinth than like Philippi. Reality is, that's not you. And I'm so thankful. And reality is, this sermon isn't about trying to get us to give more to the campaign. Though, if God's asking you to do that, who am I to say otherwise? Reality is this sermon is about understanding that we, as Christians, have certain rights. That we have rights because of our freedom in Christ, we have certain rights. And Paul wants us to recognize what we are to do with those. We live in a country that is all about freedom, right? We started this country because we wanted independence from a tyrant, from a monarchy, from a kingdom. We started this country because we wanted personal freedom. We wanted autonomy. We wanted to be able to think and say whatever we wanted. We wanted the freedom of religion. We wanted personal freedoms. We wanted to do what we wanted, when we wanted, with who we wanted to do it with. And surprise, surprise, we now live in a country where the world revolves around me. Uh, The idolatry isn't going to the temple next door, sacrificing a goat, and then eating the meat and worshiping an idol. The idolatry that we face is, is me. The idolatry that you face is you, that somehow you've been fooled into thinking that the the world revolves around you. That you are here to find ultimate happiness, right? That's even in an important document of ours. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, you've studied it. Those are good things. Life is a good thing. Liberty is a good thing. The pursuit of happiness in the right context is not a bad thing. But when your personal happiness becomes your ultimate end, it becomes an idol, which gets in the way of the gospel. Surprise, surprise, that this text has something to say to us. Verse 14 or verse 15 goes on, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. I would rather die, Paul says, than to have you take away my ability to say that I have done this not of my own will but of God's will. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me. Remember Paul's call. He was on the way to persecute the church. His goal was to destroy it, to take every man, woman, and child who was following this Jesus as the Messiah and throw them in jail or kill them. That's what he was on the way to do. And then he was confronted with the risen Jesus. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul fell to his knees. He was blinded and he was told to wait. And while he was waiting, another vision appeared to a friend of his or soon to be and said, this Paul, I know you're scared of him, but I have commissioned him to be my mouth to the Gentiles, to kings and to the children of Israel. Paul has no choice. His only choice would be to directly disobey the king of the universe. And that, he knows, is not a very smart decision. For necessity is laid upon me. For if I do this on my own will, I have an earthly reward. But if not my own will, I am entrusted with a stewardship. In other words, I'm just a steward of this message. 
I'm not here to claim how smart I am or how good of a teacher I am or how awesome of an apostle I am. I am simply a steward of what God has entrusted to me and what I am now giving to you. Verse 18, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the, God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Because you're weak, because you didn't get it, I had to be supported by other churches who maybe didn't even know you. But I was willing to do it because you needed to hear the gospel. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. He's willing to take on difficulty in order to help people come face to face with Jesus, to hear the good news of Jesus. That's discernment, that's wisdom, that's using the spirit of God and the word of God and the people of God to understand how to communicate the gospel in a specific context. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself servant of all that I might win more of them. Right, think back to verse one, okay? What's the first question he asks? Am I not free? Am I not free? I am free, and he's coming back to it right now saying, I am free from all. There's none of you in this church, Corinth, who has power over me. I've not been made your client and you my patron. Uh, there's none of you who are ultimately in authority over me. I'm not in, I am not um, under the authority of any government. I'm not under the authority of any person. I am under the ultimate authority of God. I have my ultimate allegiance to Jesus, not to Rome, not to some Jewish um, rabbi. My allegiance is to Christ and my authority is God. I am a free man. And yet, and yet, I have made myself a servant to all. Like, can you understand this? Like, the strong people would have heard the first part of that sentence. Like, yeah, we're free. Yeah, we get to do kind of what we want. That's awesome. I'm going to the temple. I'm going to eat meat when I want to. I'm going to. They've taken something good, like freedom, and turned it into a hindrance, a stumbling block. And they've caused people who are weaker, maybe not quite far along as them, to stumble and go back into idolatry. And instead of using the new freedom they have for good and laying down those rights that they have, they're being selfish. The world's revolving around them. They're doing whatever they want, whenever they want, with whoever they want to do it with. The reality is Paul needs to give us an example that we have to lay down, that with our freedom, we get to willingly lay down our freedom. We get to willingly lay down our rights. And Paul will say in other places, I have made myself a slave to Christ. Though I am free, I have chosen to submit myself and humble myself and make myself a slave to Christ. And not only that, but as I've become a slave to Christ, I'm making myself a slave to you. I am your servant. 
I'm willing to submit myself to you. And not even that, I'm willing to submit myself to other governing authorities or institutions because I want to honor God. I will do anything and whatever it takes to not build a barrier between you and the gospel. And that's maturity. And that's the message that the Corinthians needed to hear. He goes on to say, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. In Acts chapter 20, you remember maybe that Paul was willing to go through a Jewish ritual in order to um, help his cause. He was willing to have a special haircut and pay for some other guys to go through this thing because that wasn't something he was doing to help earn his salvation. It was just something that he was willing to do to help get the gospel to other Jews. But in Galatians chapter 2, you guys will remember from a couple weeks ago, Paul is unwilling to bend because there's a sect within Judaism, the Jewish Christians, that are wanting to say that justification is not by faith alone. That you don't experience salvation just by faith. You need faith plus circumcision. You need faith plus works of the law, and that's how you gain these things. That's how you gain salvation. Paul's not willing to go there. Okay, He's willing to call that out. Verse um, 21, to those outside the law, or the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those. Okay, Here's how some people take that. See, that's just a great verse to excuse some of my behaviors that I know probably aren't acceptable. That what Paul's saying there is that uh, I should be able to accommodate sin or ignore sin in a friend or show up at this place where I know I probably shouldn't be because I just want to be an example there. The reality is that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not excusing sin. He's not ignoring sin. He's not participating in sin. Paul is saying that I am willing to make myself like somebody in a way that honors God and obeys the commands of Christ in order to usher them into the gospel, in order to help them be won over to Jesus. This is not the text that you should use to excuse your sinful habits. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save all people. Nope. Jesus says that his way is narrow. Jesus says the way into the kingdom of God is one that few people will find. And the reality is it doesn't matter what strategy we use, how creative we are, how much money we have, or what we do. The reality is that there is a stumbling block out there, and that is the cross of Christ. And the gospel is the only stumbling block that is acceptable for us. That we put out there this truth of Jesus, and people have to decide whether they will take that on, whether they'll be willing to endure all things for the cause of Christ. And that is why he says he's willing to become all things to all people in all, by all means so that he might save some. I'm going to have the opportunity to minister to hundreds, if not thousands of students in this town over my time, if the Lord wills. The reality is, just because they come through our ministry and they graduate out when they're 12th grade does not mean they all will be saved. 
Uh, Just because somebody comes and sits in these pews for a few years doesn't mean we are so winsome and we are such eloquent communicators and we have such a communal mindset that they will just be won over. The reality is the, the way is narrow and the number that will find it are few, but that doesn't stop us. We work tirelessly. We become all things to all people that by all means we might win one. Within my entire ministry, over all the time, effort, uh, whatever sacrifices I've made, I've led one person to be won over to the gospel, then it is worth it. It's worth it. Moms, if in all your time you've sacrificed things and dreams that you've had and you've raised your child, and if the only thing you can say is that they are a follower of Jesus, at the end of the day, you have succeeded. Whatever your job, in whatever way you've been called to live out the gospel, if you have won one. A guy that is under a little bit of controversy right now, Andy Stanley, likes to say it like this, what you wish you could do for all, do for one. It's kind of what Paul's saying. What I wish I could do for the whole world and tell them the gospel and save their soul or whatever, I need to be willing to do for one. And it doesn't matter our fancy strategies or how much money we have. We need to be willing to submit ourselves to the gospel. That's why he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. He closes with this. Do you, know not, do you not know that in a race all runners run in order to win the prize? So run that you may obtain it. We're all going somewhere but there's only one that is imperishable. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This life that we've lived, our living is meant to be done in light of eternity. It's meant to be done in light of the reality that this world is not all there is. That we have a goal. That it's gonna take some difficult work. That it's gonna take you enduring all things for the sake of the gospel in order to reach that prize, in order to reach that goal. And the difficult part of this, the self-discipline of this, is not just Paul saying like, hey, you shouldn't sin. Hey, you should do what Jesus said to do. Sure, yes, Paul would agree with that. But this specific text is trying to lead us into something else. I had Amanda Butler make these for me on a short notice. Um, She did a great job. The reality is that we're kind of in all, all in different situations. We have these gifts, that there's this package that the gift is within, and that there's a sender. The gift, the good thing, is the gospel. We preach Christ crucified is what Paul says in the beginning. That doesn't change. That gospel does not change. Paul gets really angry in Galatians chapter 1 when people try to distort the gospel and says that they are cursed Paul's really scared in 2 Corinthians when the people he's talking to right now seem to be adopting whatever other message in addition to Jesus or in addition to the gospel or things that are keeping them from the gospel. The gospel doesn't change. 
no matter what some preachers may say, no matter what message you may have heard, we do not accommodate this. We do not change this. We do not stop preaching Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ coming again. That never changes, no matter what else may change in our lifetime. But you know what can change? You know what Paul is saying should change? Is the wrapping. The wrapping paper can change. Because the reality is, I need to give you the truth of the gospel, Zoe, Uh, But you're Zoe, and you're not Jacob. And the reality is, you might be in two different places. The reality is, uh, Zoe, you might be mature in Christ. And so I need to present the gospel to you as somebody who's mature. But the reality is, you still need to hear the gospel. Like, Drew still needs to hear the gospel. Jim in Israel still needs to hear the gospel. I need to hear the gospel to have it restore my soul regularly just because I claim to be somewhere along this line of a non-believer and a mature believer doesn't mean we ever need to stop hearing the truth of the gospel. It just means the package changes sometimes. And so, yes, this text is telling us we need to be aware of how we communicate the gospel to non-believers. And understanding, too, that every non-believer friend you have is not the same. It's not like you have one gospel message, one Roman road illustration, and that's just going to somehow automatically win every non-believer you know. No. Some of us are new believers, just immature in the faith. And you need the gospel in that way. Sometimes we're people who don't actually believe anymore. We used to go to church. We went to youth group for a time, but then we walked away. And there's a way that you need to communicate to those people that is unique to them. But guess what doesn't change? Guess what doesn't change? You don't get to tell them, you know what, you really don't need church. You really don't need the community of faith. Just just have a little bit of Jesus plus a little bit of whatever else you want. The gift, the message never changes. And some of us are fools. Some of us are fools, people who think we know a lot and yet act foolishly in a way that causes other people to sin. We take the rights that we have or the freedoms that we have and we abuse them or use them in a way that causes somebody who is weaker or outside of the faith or used to be a faith and causes them to not be able to hear the gospel or come to Christ. And you need to hear the gospel in a very specific way. I don't know where you are, which package you need to have come to you and to receive the gospel, but you need it. And not only that, but the difficult part, the discipline that Paul talks about is you have to be able to come and stand right here and look at your friends, look at your family, look at your coworkers, look at your neighbors and say, I recognize your spiritual condition. And I am going to give you the gospel so that you can become mature in Christ. That's the call you have today. That you don't just get to be you. Uh, My wife and I had a, a spirited discussion last night as to some of my failings as somebody who was very abrupt and direct. The reality is I don't just get to be my abrupt, direct personality all the time and expect everyone to accommodate to me. You know what that's called? 
It's called idolatry in a world that revolves around Justin. And it's unacceptable. The reality is I need to accommodate the package based on the recipient. I need to, you need to, we need to together use discernment. Use the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God to together recognize the people in our life who have a spiritual condition which may be very healthy and may be non-existent. And in that moment, to be able to give them the gospel in order that they might be one to the gospel. And that's what Paul has for us today. Um, It's my encouragement to you that you would understand the gospel well enough to be able to communicate it in a variety of ways. Uh, We have a lot of discussion of, I just don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel because I don't know what to say. Know the gospel. Not only that, know people and be willing to accommodate yourself because the only stumbling block should be this. Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and is very difficult for the Gentiles. Hearing the message of the cross is difficult enough. Don't let me get in the way. Don't let your personality, don't let your life that is not being submitted to Christ get in the way. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and for um, coming here. You literally took on flesh to be among us. You adapted to us in order to give us the truth, the good news of your kingdom. God, let us be people like that. Let us be people like Paul, who though we have freedom, are willing to lay down our rights for the sake of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you all for being here. Um, You'll notice in the back, we have our It's Times bucket out. If you need to use those, please do. We will see you next week.